You are listening to the Next Best Picture Podcast, and this is my interview with the writer and director of the film Wendy, Ben Zeitlin. Remember the voice in your head? The one that said, sneak away. Here is the place it came from. We're on the mother! You will never grow! So began the legend of Peter, the boy who would not grow up. Want to fly? We can fly. Really fly? yourself behind. You won't even know when it happened. This is where lost boys go when they're really lost. All children grow up. But some, the wild ones, the ones with a light in their eye. Escape. All right, everyone. I am being joined here today by the co-writer, the director of the new film, Wendy, Ben Zeitlin, the director of Beasts of the Southern Wild. Ben, how are you today? I'm great. I'm great. Awesome. Exciting day. Yeah, you just had another premiere at the Sundance Film Festival a few weeks ago. Now the film is being released right now by Searchlight Pictures for people to see. However, um, first question, I'm sure many of us are wondering, and I'm sure you've been getting this a lot. It's been eight years since Beasts of the Southern Wild. What have you been up to uh, during that time, especially in the aftermath of that film's uh, success with the Oscars? Um, you know, everybody was like waiting uh, to see what you would come up with next. How come it's been uh, so long? Um, well, honestly, we, we really, after Beast, we went directly to work on this film. There wasn't really any kind of gap or any sort of um, uncertainty about what we were going to do next. Um, you know, this film uh, was really a dream project for years and years for me and my sister, who I wrote this, the film with. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, part it was partly to tell the story and it was partly to kind of actually go on the adventure of the story and really explore and look for places in the world that expressed these ideas um, around what Neverland was and, search and find people who expressed uh, kind of the spirit of these characters. And, you know, we kind of committed ourselves to a very, very unconventional, uh, very difficult, very chaotic um, and circuitous process. And we had, you know, because of Beast, we had an incredible uh, freedom to to invest time in, in doing things that were unprecedented. Um, and, um, you know, that's what we, that's sort of what we decided to do with the chance. And so we, we didn't, you know, know how long the film was going to take, but we knew that there was no way to know and that the, the, the adventure itself was going to be one that there was almost no way to control. And we had to sort of 
commit to it and, and see it through and, and, and um, follow it wherever it led us. Sure. And the film is very much about adventure. There is a wild amount of imagination in this movie and adapting a story that people are very familiar with. And you mentioned before you co-wrote this with your sister, um, Eliza. And I'm just curious to know, um, what was that process like writing with her? And um, how did you both come to a decision on what adaptation changes to make uh, with this new version of uh, the story of Peter Pan? I mean, I think in many ways, our vision was quite aligned, you know, um, and, and, and these were the, 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 the way that we wanted to approach this um, with, with an incredible amount of naturalism and realism um, and sort of the idea of stripping away a lot of the kind of inaccessible fairy magic and really kind of to see where this myth that everybody knows actually exists on our earth and, and in our, in, in our lives. I think we were very aligned. And then in other ways, you know, I think we discovered that even though we'd both been telling the story to each other for, you know, basically our entire lives that, you know, as the original book states, like each person really has their own Peter and has their own Neverland. And we had, you know, it was a very long, uh, endless uh, sort of process of debate and discovery to sort of see where we could come to a consensus and where we were aligned and, and to figure out how to um, tell a story that expressed, you know, both of us um, and both of our ideas about what the meaning of this tale really is, um, you know, uh, in the film. Yeah, no, I, I, I hear you on that one, especially um, there were a couple of moments where the story, uh, you know, started to take shape and you start to see uh, like the origins of certain characters and such. And um, I, I thought that the way that that was weaved into the story was actually pretty clever at times. Um, was there more of a grand statement that you were trying to make? I, I guess people were trying to figure out why this film, why this story? You said so yourself that this is something that's been brewing in your mind for many, many years. Um, so what was the hook for you? Was there some sort of a connection with our world today that you were uh, trying to make uh, by telling this story? Um, well, I guess my sense and my feeling is that there were, there were, there are sort of universal questions that are embedded in the story that had never actually been addressed in, in, in any of the, uh, to me, it's like the reason why Peter Pan has sort of stood the test of time and remained in the zeitgeist and haunted people the way that he has since, he was written into this world. Um, the reasons for that to me have never actually been explored and, and they get at universal questions. And I'm always kind of like, when I go into a film, that's like a question in my life that is driving me crazy or haunting me. And, and one that I feel like uh, is relevant for everyone really. And, and, and to me there, the, the question that really always disturbed me in the story was, you know, there's this idea in, in Peter Pan that, uh, you kind of have to choose between being carefree, free and wild and being, uh, being caring of other people, being, having a heart, loving, having a family, you know, having responsibilities, you know, those two things are set up really as this either or. Um, and, and it's something that I think, you know, as we're growing up as children, you know, uh, adults are hammering into children, telling them to grow up, telling them to get real, uh, you know, disciplining them to sort of stop sort of dreaming in the ways that children do and to sort of accept realities and limitations, you know, and those things in some ways never go away, even as adults, you know, um, even sort of coming out of making Beast of the Southern Wilds, there was this sense of like, you know, well, now you're gonna 
has to sort of conform to the expectations of the world and the way that people are supposed to make films as opposed, as opposed to this sort of like utopian liberated way that I'd been making them when there was no um, scrutiny and there was no sort of like sense of a film industry or an outside world. And so, you know, and I think this is something that everybody goes through and sort of like, you know, the, this, this sense that you must sacrifice one for the other. And I think that we wanted to tell a story that uh, about a character that, you know, in Wendy that refuses to make that choice and for whom there isn't a separation between her love and her freedom and her wildness and her responsibility and her care who actually finds a way to solve this problem and, and look towards growing up with all the sort of hope and, and, and sense of adventure um, that children have when they're young. And, I, and that felt like if we could find a way to solve that and express that through uh, this story that always has been one that is terrified of growing up and one that's terrified of responsibility and one that, you know, in particular says that adventure only really is for little boys and not for little girls. And we want to mm. kind of take these, this, this sort of question and, and really, you know, blow it up um, inside of this myth and retell the myth in a way that expresses hope towards that very um, conundrum that everybody goes through. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. Nice. You mentioned before uh, the child actors that are involved in this movie, actually. And, you know, there's a lot of similarities between Beasts of the Southern Wild and Wendy. A lot of people have drawn a lot of uh, similarities between the two. One of them being um, your excellent uh, ability to find young child uh, actors. And you have Devin France playing Wendy, um, Yeshua Mack as Peter, and then the two uh, twin brothers, Gage and Gavin uh, Naquin as Douglas and James. And I, I just want to know um, about your process and how do you find these young actors? Does it take a long time? And how do you know they're going to be right for the roles? And can you just walk us through uh, that a bit? Because I, I find all of their screen presence to be just very captivating uh, throughout. Yeah. I mean, they're all incredible kids and they're all incredible actors as well. Um, but, you know, like you said, that none of them had ever acted before this film. Um, and it is an extremely extensive casting process. Um, it's a credit to our 
casting team, you know, um, where, and, 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 and a lot of it has to do with looking, uh, to find kids in places, uh, where, uh, there isn't a ton of access to, um, to being an actor or even kind of like places where the dream of being an artist or an actor is like one that's particularly supported and encouraged. You know, a lot of the places that we're going aren't, you know, there's not like robust theater programs and it's not like you can just put an ad out in the paper for saying who wants to audition for a movie and anyone's going to show up. You have to really go and talk to people um, and go into schools and, 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 and explain to the kids that this is something that you can do. It doesn't matter if you know how to do it or not. Um, and, and, and also sort of, a, uh, we have a, I think a very specific audition process. It's not like kids walk into the room and get handed a script and asked to perform. You know, we bring people in, we get to know them, we interview them, we'll play some very, very simple improvisation games that are not intimidating. And it kind of allows, you know, people to um, come into this process of acting that uh, wouldn't otherwise be able to. And, and the reality is that there's just so much talent um, out there in the world um, that, that doesn't have access to the tools of sort of developing an artistic craft. And I think that, you know, we've just worked very hard and also gotten very lucky to find such amazingly talented people. Um, and, you know, yeah. and I think that there's also a process that we go through of just committing a lot of time to, uh, to both finding the actors and then training them and developing them. And then also sort of being very liberated with our script to be able to kind of change and adapt to the people who we find so that we can, you know, it's not like a normal Hollywood process where the script is locked and any change has to be approved. Like we, we very fluidly are rewriting these characters based on people that uh, are playing them and very much in collaboration with them and allowing them to really um, take power and control over the parts that they're performing. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, last two questions here. I got to, got to, got to talk to you about Dan Romer's score on this film. <laughs> oh my God. I, <laughs> I, I am so in love with the music of this movie and I, I commented to a couple of friends of mine that this, that this movie's music has the ability to transport me to my childhood. Huh. And it's so soaring and it really like makes my heart sing every time I hear it. I, I, just, oh, I just streamed it today uh, for the first time since I saw the film back at Sundance. And I was like w counting down the days until I could listen <laughs> to it again. Please, 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 please talk to me about what it was that you guys were going for with the overall vibe of this score and what you wanted it to accomplish because I'll tell you right now whatever the answer is I, I think it's I think it's right because this score <laughs> is truly amazing <laughs> thank you thank you um yeah I mean we sort of uh a lot of things but you know the, the origins of the score began uh with this idea of lullaby yeah um and of a very starting with a very very a couple of very simple melodies that would feel like things that were timeless that were traditional that a mother would be singing to her child and that like when you hear them in whatever context you hear them in, they kind of take you back to this really visceral nostalgic feeling of being in your mother's arms. Um, you know, I know for me, like when I hear the Tennessee waltz, for example, that's like the first song I was ever sung in my life. You know, as I came out of the hospital, my dad was humming that song to me. When I hear that song to this day, it transports me to, to feeling this connection, to my parents and this connection to youth that, is so visceral. Um, and so that was kind of our, our starting point, um, in terms of just writing the melodies and sort of the base melodies of the film. And then from there, 
you know, we almost, we always in the process of almost every element in the film wanted to kind of put ourselves through imagining, you know, what Peter and the Lost Boys would do if they were going to do the process. And so we sort of imagined like an orchestral recording studio. And then in the night, the Lost Boys break in with like a bag full of like broken metal and garbage and wood. And they just sort of like attack the string instruments and bang them with things that you should never hit them with and create all these sounds that, you know, are totally primeval and like ragtag. And then the orchestra comes in and then plays over that. And so we wanted to sort of like both score kind of, you know, the sort of cinematic imagination of Wendy and sort of create this feeling of like pioneering and adventure of striking off into the unknown and just this kind of like visceral uh, momentum um, of childhood. And we also wanted to get this feeling of like really just janky, mucky sounds like that kids love to make and that kids love to hear that grownups don't necessarily like to hear Yeah, um, and have those be equally incorporated into the soundscape of the film and sort of get all those ideas um, to sit. Well, you succeeded. Like I said, <laughs> whatever the answer was, it was going to be correct. Cause this score, like I said, I think is objectively amazing. So thank you so much. Bravo to you and to Dan. It's, it's really, really fantastic. And I, I hope to uh, continue playing it for as long as I possibly can. <laughs> um, final question here. And it's an easy one. Please, please, please tell us it will not be this long again until we see another film from you. <laughs> you know, I make no promises like that. Um, fair enough. Yeah, fair I, enough. I really believe, um, are you actively working on anything? Um, I am. Yeah. I mean, as soon as I get done sort of okay. Wendy, I'll be on to the next film. Um, but you know, I, I really believe that I think one of the ways in which we cause we cause films to be so homogenous is by sort of, you know, uh, just forcing these sort of, you know, historic concepts of how long things should take. And time is one of the most complicated and valuable resources in making a movie. And I think that in order to really change the structure and in, in order to make something really unique, you have to allocate time in, in ways that are innovative. And, you know, I think that this is probably an extreme example of this film. And obviously like I want to make a lot of films before I die. And so I hope that my films don't take this long every time. Um, <laughs> but I do think that liberating the idea of time uh, in relation to film is, is, is a really important frontier that we need to examine in order to create work that, um, that does things that, that haven't been done before. Hey, you know what? Terrence Malick took some time between some projects and he's doing just fine. So I say <laughs> do whatever your heart wants to do and we all look forward to it. Thank you. Ben, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. The film is called Wendy. It is being re uh, released by Searchlight Pictures today, actually, February 28th, opening weekend. Ben, thank you so, so much for coming today and uh, chatting with us about this film. Thanks so much. All right. Best of luck to you. All right. Thank you. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to my interview with the writer and director of the film Wendy, Ben Zeitlin, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening as always, and we shall see you all next time. Hey there! 
I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. See you soon.